Well, brilliant to see you all, uh, and welcome again to Hope Church. Listen, how amazing it is to see so many of you here this morning. Fantastic. You could have been anywhere this morning. Probably right now you're thinking, I could have been anywhere this morning. <laughs> but you, you chose to be with us, and, and that means a huge amount to us. It really does. Um, now, the last time I spoke, I, was, I think three, three or four weeks ago or something like that, uh, I spoke from Acts chapter 16 about um, Paul, uh, Paul, about Paul uh, <laughs> uh, and Silas in, in jail in Philippi in, in Acts chapter 16. And I really, uh, you know, what that story was really about or what I was focusing on was the fact that Paul and Silas, despite the fact they were in such a horrendous situation, uh, that, you know, they, they should have really been kind of cowering in the corner, wondering if they were going to survive. Uh, what, in fact, they, they were doing was worshipping God in, in, the, in the middle of the prison at night. And then a miracle happened. Uh, many of you, I'm sure, will know the story. There was an earthquake. The, uh, the gates of the prison flew open and, you know, the jailer got saved. Hallelujah. It was a great story. Uh, it's, on, it's available on the website. Download it. Uh, it's one of my better ones. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and I kind of, as I was, as I was kind of going, going through this story and thinking about it a lot a few weeks ago, I, I started to think that this, there was something more in this, this concept of finding joy in Jesus regardless of the circumstances. That this was... Um, this was a kind of word to, this, to our church in this season. Uh, really, this idea of kind of just going deeper, I suppose, into worship. Uh, going deeper into uh, rejoicing. And so I kind of set to look, but I, my question was basically, you know, what is going on in the inside of a man who, though he may be hours from death, he's locked in the prison, he's just been beaten um, what is in the heart of a man who would just take that, that moment in the darkness to turn his praises towards God? That's what I want to know. I want to know what's going on in the inside. So um, I, I kind of look at, in this kind of quest, I suppose, I started looking at the letter of Philipp, um, that he wrote to the Philippian church. Now, actually, he wrote this letter years after because he was, he was in jail with Silas. Uh, when he was establishing the church in Philippi. And then he wrote this letter to them years later. But actually, he was in jail at that point as well. It's something about Paul. He's in and out of jail his whole life. You know, like Johnny Cash. Um, and, and not like Johnny Cash. Uh, but he was also in and out of jail. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... But he was, he was in jail at this point, and he was writing to them this letter. So obviously, again, a similar situation. And I was, I mean, I was intrigued by this letter. And so I want to speak from that uh, today. Um, I was kind of, this, this week I was um, with, with Lizzie and Maisie. We were uh, on the Isle of Col, uh, uh, just beside Tyree. And um, I went fishing. Yeah, I thought, you know, I've grown the beard. I may as well go fishing, <laughs> you know. And, and, and I was just kind of chatting to our heavenly dad about this. Should I preach this message this Sunday? And I was, but I was also kind of at the same time saying, 
Dad, I would really love a fish. <laughs> if you could just give me one fish. You know I mean? When you're fishing and you can't fa- catch a fish, you feel like there are no fish to be caught. It's a terribly desolate place to be. You feel like, are there any fish left in the sea? I've been here for three hours. And... Uh, so I was kind of had these two thoughts in my mind. I would really like a fish, and should I preach this message on Sunday? And then I caught two fish. And I took that to be a confirmation <laughs> from the Lord. <laughs> if you know anything about my fishing, you will know that that is a miracle. And uh, so I thought, yeah, I'm going to preach this message. Um, so I want, I want to talk today really about a main, a key theme in Philippians, and that is this word, this great Bible word, rejoice. You know, it's like, behold. It's a great Bible word. Uh, rejoice. And rejoicing in God. Um, and I, I'm pleased to understand that I'm not bringing this, and I'm not getting the sense that this is a word. I mean, obviously, it's, it's good to always rejoice in God, but I just feel there's a particular emphasis being placed on this. Um, for us right now. And I'm not, I'm not saying that with a sense of foreboding, like, you know, we're going to have to learn to rejoice in the Lord in all circumstances, because my goodness, things are about to go down the pan. You know, I'm not, that's, <laughs> please understand that's not my heart uh, in this talk, you know, but, but the reality is that, you know, Jesus said in this world you'll have trouble, and, you know, that's just the reality of life. And actually, you know, all the promises that this church has ahead of it, you know, all the expansion and the things that God's opening up for us, you know, success actually tests you as much as, as, as failure. Um, you know, things going really well is as much of a challenge as, as things not going well. And actually, the ability to lean into God and to, to kind of rejoice in Him in every circumstance, I think, is a big thing for us as we go forward. And Andy's he's touched on this as well. He spoke in Philippians last week as well. So that was another kind of thing in my thinking. And, and as just, before, just, before, just before I get there, um, I also want to just say this. That I want to really commend Andy and Nick, um, uh, the other two elders in this church, because I, I, get, I dare say I get to see them you know, on a more personal level than most people in this room and more regularly and have done for a number of years. And I can tell you for a fact that these are men who rejoice in God in all circumstances. You know, and I am so, I'm continually impressed uh, when we sit in our meetings and they just talk about what they've been doing that week, uh, how they have managed, regardless of the circumstances that they've faced that week, to find God in the midst of them. It's very impressive for a young guy like me. It's a real learning curve to be there. So I just wanted to say that publicly because they are great guys. Okay, so here we go. What lies in the heart of a man who would worship Jesus in jail after being beaten with, to within an inch of his life? Let's look at Philippians and chapter 3. I'm going to read uh, most of the chapter, maybe all of it. And then I could have picked almost anything from Philippians, but we're going to go to Philippians chapter 3. Okay, Uh, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Now, in fact, that's not quite finally, because there is a fourth chapter, but, you know, Paul, he's often like that. Uh, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, because he's already told them to rejoice a number of times, uh, is no trouble for me 
and it is safe for you. Now, that's a really interesting thought that we're going to come back to. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's the people who want to get them all circumcised. Um, Look out for them, by the way. If you see one coming down Sucky Hall Street, run a mile. (laughs) That's, uh, That's just good advice, I would say, in life. Look out for those... If somebody comes up to you in Sucky Hall Street wielding a sharp knife, you know, look out. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. They're lurking, you know, all over the place. Uh, For we are the real circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, but I press on to make this my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what uh, lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of you who are mature think this way, for if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to this example you have, you have in us. For many of whom I have told you are now, and now even tell you with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. They, they're with mindset on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a saviour the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What an amazing bit of the Bible. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're here. And I thank you, Lord, that you are the teacher, which is great because it takes the pressure off me. Holy Spirit, you are moving among us now to reveal your truth to your people. Lord, why don't you just open your heart to him again, just welcome him, rather than just hearing me pray, why don't you pray, say, Jesus, here I am, I'm opening the doors of my heart, I want to hear from you this morning, 
welcome them in. Come Holy Spirit, thank you for your great goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, that we are your sheep and we get to hear your voice. Speak to us, I pray this morning. Okay, amen. Okay, so let's go right back to this first verse. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it is safe for you. Now, this is an interesting thing. Paul understood that rejoicing in Jesus created a safe place for him in the midst of his exceptionally dangerous lifestyle. Um, Psalm um, 5 says this, but all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. All who take refuge in you rejoice. What I want to say is that actually what Paul discovered is the other side is also true. That actually rejoicing in God brings you into a place of safety. Rejoicing. Rejoicing is a big deal. Now, what do I mean by rejoicing? Well, maybe to illustrate this, I will refer to a football match that took place in the last week. Because um, we all know something about spontaneous re- rejoicing. That's my most recent example of spontaneous rejoicing. When Kenny Miller scored his second goal, I don't mind telling you, I did not need a lot of encouragement to rejoice. I was out of my seat. I mean, almost in disbelief. I mean, have you ever seen Kenny Miller do that? Ever? Will you ever see that again? It's like a miracle had happened on the pitch. What a goal. What a, what a moment. Um, now, obviously, that was shortly followed by a long period of despair. Uh, <laughs> as the inevitability of our defeat began, began to sink in. But even in that moment, um, you know, when the full-time whistle uh, sounded and, you know, I had to face my wife, who is English, um, <laughs> you know, in that moment, you know, I had the, I had the choice of, of thinking, you know, do, do I want to rest in this place of misery? <laughs> or do I want to remind myself and my wife that Jesus was still Lord <laughs> and he was working all things to my good so watch out next time <laughs> you see because rejoicing is that, it's that strange mixture isn't it of kind of spontaneous moments but also these moments where you make a decision that actually even though it's three, two. I am still going to praise God. <laughs> and and, and Paul, Paul realized that actually the ability to rejoice in God who never changes despite circumstances was actually created a place of safety no matter what was going on. And I want to say that is going to be our safe place. Whatever else is happening, whatever else happens in the next year of this church, in the next year of your life personally, the safe place for you and I and all of us together is the place 
where we celebrate who God is, celebrate his goodness. Now, how, how is it that this rejoicing creates a safe place? Well, I think th- th- this chapter really deals with this. It says that rejoicing in Jesus keeps us away from dead religious practice that has the outward look of something spiritual, but inside there is nothing going on. That's what rejoicing in God does in this chapter. So, the first thing that Paul says is that, in, if we scan down to verse 7, is that rejoicing keeps you captivated with Jesus. Whereas dead religious practice keeps you captivated by your sacrifice. Rejoicing keeps us re- celebrating and keeps us captivated by Jesus and his sacrifice. Whereas, re- whereas religion will always focus you on what you're doing and what you're giving. In verse 7 it says this, But whatever gain I had, I counted law as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Now, Paul is a man who has made extraordinary sacrifices in his life, but he has never captivated by these things. Instead, he considers knowing knowing Jesus as everything. You know, this is a kind of pattern all the way through. In Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus, even Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the sacrifice of the cross, scorning its shame. This is not to say that we are diminishing the need for sacrifice, the need to press through difficult things, the need to to overcome, the need to give everything to Jesus, which is the reality and what Jesus requires. But it's to say this, that the sacrifice always has to be inspired by a vision of Jesus. And by the faith in him that he will turn even our sacrifices into joy. And that he will not disappoint us. That when we give things to him, we know that one day we will receive something better. This is not just us sucking it up. And... This is because we've seen a vision, as David wonderfully said, we've caught a vision of a heavenly city. And so that makes the traveling worthwhile. I came across this week the story of a guy, you may have heard of him, I had never heard of him. His name was was David Brainerd. And he was an American missionary to the Native American people during the Great Awakening. And he died aged 29 in 1747 of tuberculosis. And Jonathan Edwards preached at his funeral. And uh, he published his diary 
that he had kept during his kind of missionary things. And I want to read you an extract because I think this, you know, you see this again and again in the great men and women of God. They have been captured by a vision that sustains them through the years. This is what he wrote as he was dying of TB in his diary. Oh, that I could dedicate my all to God. This is all the return I can make him. It is impossible for any rational creature to be happy without acting all for God. God himself could not make him happy any other way. There is nothing in the world worth living for but doing good and finishing God's work, doing the work that Christ did. I see nothing else in the world that can yield any satisfaction beside living for God, pleasing him and doing his whole will. Here I am. Send me. Send me to the ends of the earth. Send me to the rough, to the savage pagans of the wilderness. Send me for all that is called, from all that is called comfort on earth. Send me even to death itself, if it be but in thy service and to promote thy kingdom. My desires seem especially to be after weanedness from the world, perfect deadness to it and that I may be crucified to all its allurements. My soul desires to feel itself more of a pilgrim and a stranger here below than that nothing may divert me from pressing through the lonely desert till I arrive at my father's house. This morning about nine, I withdrew to the woods for prayer. I was in such anguish that when I arose from my knees, I felt extremely weak and overcome. I cared not how or where I lived or what hardships I went through so that I could but gain souls for Christ. Oh, that I could spend every moment of my life to God's glory. I have received my all from God. Oh, that I could return my all to God. It is sweet to be nothing and less than nothing, that Christ may be all in all. All my desire was the conversion of the heathen. There's a good word from the 18th century. I declare, now I am dying. I would not have spent my life otherwise for the whole world. Wow. Imagine that, getting to the end and thinking, I would not have spent my life any other way for the whole world. A man without regret. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up, and then in his joy, he sells all and buys the field. In his joy. He thinks, wow, it's like catching a fish, except a really, really big one. It's like a gift. You realize you couldn't have made this happen, even if you tried, and yet here it is. It fills you with joy. It sustains you. You realize there's nothing else. There's nothing else we'll ever be able to compare with this. The second thing is that rejoicing in God is an expression of the new identity we have been given in Christ. 
Paul has his mind set on heavenly realities because he is a heavenly man. He says this in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is the place we really belong. Listen, joy is the appropriate disposition of the children of God. That is our default. That's not to say that, you know, difficult things won't happen to us. They will. Or sad things won't happen to us. They will. But actually, the bias will always return or should always return to a place of joy because that is the natural disposition of the children of God. Those who understand that they have been restored to a position of dignity and influence in God's house must celebrate. They must. That amazing story of the prodigal returning, you know, and and coming in thinking he's going to be a slave. And God, and well, the father in the story who is God, restoring him to the place that he had formerly been at with a robe on his shoulder, sandals on his feet, ring on his finger, authority and influence. And the celebration taking place. He was dead and now he's alive. And, he, and, and with, the, with the older brother, who doesn't want to celebrate, you know, comes home and he's raging. The father comes out and he says, you know, we had to celebrate. It's the most obvious thing to do. He's almost, it's almost, when you read the story, it's almost like the father is confused by his elder son's reaction. You know, you're miserable? What? Maybe you didn't hear me right. Your brother was dead, and now he is alive. We had to celebrate. We didn't have an option. People who know that they've been forgiven, know that they've been brought all the way back into the house to live as a son, need to celebrate. They need to celebrate regularly. It's only the people who live in God's house as slaves who don't know how to rejoice and to celebrate. Now, I'm going to level with you here. This is a journey for me. I, I feel like I'm on a journey. It's a journey into joy. It's, it's an interdiscovery that actually that is, that, is how, that is how it's intended. That is how I should be. You know, we have this thing in the west of Scotland, some of us, you know, like, maybe I'm, I'm getting a bit too happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I need to do is, you know, spend a couple hours being miserable. <laughs> you know. Quick, somebody find something miserable. You know, or, or, or you, you feel really happy and then you start to feel bad. Why am I feeling so happy? I mean, I'm sure there are bad things going on in the world somewhere. I mean, they're not anything I can see immediately, but, you know, I'm sure it's going on somewhere. Maybe I should be feeling bad on somebody else's behalf. That's what I should be doing. That's really going to help them. You know? I mean, I can't actually practically do anything for them. They're on the other side of the world. But maybe if I just, you know, be miserable for a while. You know, it's, this is it's strange, isn't it? I mean, come on. This is, what, this is what it's like in our culture. And this is, this is what, you know, I'm like. You know, I mean, I talk to my wife. 
I can be flipping miserable, you know. I mean, you're laughing now, but listen. Being funny and being joyful are not the same thing. <laughs> you know, some funny people, you know, are very, very miserable in their own home. It's not, it's not the same thing. Okay, I'm not miserable all the time, just to say that. But, you know, this is a, this is a journey. This is a journey for me to discover that, listen... This is part of my identity. This is part of who I am. Because I am a child of God, I should, my bias should return to joy. Even in crisis, even in difficult circumstances, even when it's all going wrong. And why is that? Well, because that is the atmosphere of the Father's house. That is the atmosphere of heaven. You make known to me the path of life, Psalm 16 says, in your presence. There is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. We need to be happy. We need to be joyful people. Do you know what? I'm going to skip most of this because I want us to, I want us to be joyful and worship again. I, I want to go to the end and say this, that um, rejoicing in God is a fortress for you in good times and in bad and that this is what this is how i think maybe this is how you think too but the truth is this rejoicing in god is a fortress and not even your own mistakes can storm it not even your own failings can storm the fortress of rejoicing in god's goodness towards you there is an amazing story in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8. I'm going to flip to it very quickly. And what has happened is that the people of God have been appallingly disobedient. They've, you know, they've not worshipped God. They've done some hideous things. Uh, As a result, they were taken into captivity. And, And this is the moment when they're returning and they return and they try to rebuild the wall. And in the process of, of getting everything reestablished in Jerusalem, Ezra discovers and reads out the book of the law. So he's, he's standing up there and he's telling, he gathers all the, the people who have returned from captivity and he reads to them the law. Okay, now read your way through the law one day. <laughs> it's you know I mean some of the, some of the page you get to the bottom of a page of of woe and, to, and curses and you're kind of thinking flip I thought the genealogies were bad this is <laughs> and he, he he reads to them all the things that they haven't been doing and if anything's going to make you miserable it's that and and then he does. Uh, Nehemiah and Ezra, they do an incredible thing at this moment because the people are starting to, you know, weep and think, oh my goodness, we are in trouble. And in chapter 8, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9, says this, and Nehemiah, who was the governor and Ezra, the priest and scribe and the Levites, the priests of God, the the ones who minister in the presence and who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And then they said to them, go your way, 
eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to everyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went on their way to eat and drink and send portions and to make great rejoicing because they understood that the words that, had, that were declared to them. Have you ever somebody who's really made a mess of their life and they're just sitting there weeping, coming back to the Lord? Listen, in church, we don't often go up to people and say, listen, enough of that crying. Yeah. Quit it. Yeah. Get a smile on your face. Maybe we should. (laughs) Maybe we should. Now, (laughs) what is going on in this story? What is going on in this story? What's going on is that actually, it's not that they weren't to repent. Okay, like if you read the rest of the story, they repent later. The point is that in order to deal properly with the stuff that you've done wrong, you need some strength. You know, in order to clear up the mess you've made, you need to feel like God is with you. And if you just kind of like, you know, <laughs> let me tell you, you're not going to clear up anything. You're just going to make the same mistake again. You see, there's some, Paul talks about this. He says there's some sorrow that leads to life and there's some that leads to death. You know, we need, we need to get in touch with God's grace when we've done something wrong. His goodness, we need to rejoice in the fact that he loves us, that he has covered this. In fact, rejoicing when things are good and you've done everything well, you know, you might just be worshipping yourself. I mean, I'm great, I've had a great week. Woo! You know, if you've had a rubbish week and you've made a lot of mistakes and you come in and you worship God, listen, that takes faith. That takes faith in the fact that he has covered your mistakes. That actually he died for the mess you made last week. And that actually with him in you, you can repent, you can change, you can make a new start. Joy is a powerful thing. It is a fortress and not even your own mistakes can breach it. Listen, the, the, the amazing thing is at the end, I don't know if it's the end of chapter 8 or at the end of this whole book, but there's this amazing line in Nehemiah where it says this, when Jerusalem celebrated God, their enemies heard it. <laughs> Come on. Listen, when the people of God really understand the wonder of what's happened to them. And they celebrate it. Listen, principalities and powers, they, they hear it and they hate it. They don't mind you being miserable. You know, I mean, and this is, I mean, happiness, it looks like something. It general, at the minimum, it looks like somebody's smiling. You know, it's maybe a, it's maybe a kind of, a measure of where I'm at, that even when I smile, it's upside down. I'll demonstrate. <laughs> yeah, I'm smiling, 
but the wrong way. It's a, str it's, a str it's a strange congenital defect. I'm hoping not to pass on to my daughter. Uh, but the point is this. That listen, we should be happy. We should rejoice. And we're going to find this, that actually in the challenges that are ahead for us personally, corporately, you know, we are going to need to get really, really good at just coming in and thinking, oh, I'm going to worship you, Jesus. I'm going to give you everything I've got. I'm going to be happy because you've saved me. And even though what's going on just now in my life isn't great, I have faith that you're going to carry me through this and that the, there will be joy in the morning. You know, I used to think that I was being, you know, wise when I was being miserable. Now I just think I was just unbelief. It's just a lack of faith that actually God really is good. Steve Backland, I've got to read you this. He said this. This is an absolute killer quote. He said this, The reason you are hopeless about yourself is because your faith is in you. <laughs> Come on. You know, next time you see a miserable Christian, say to them, What's your, who's your faith in? You know, is it in you? Or is it in, in the one who's working all things? You know, even a 3-2 defeat to England. <laughs> all things to good. Come on, we've got 10 minutes. Yeah. Let's stand and rejoice. Yeah. Tell yourself all the good things that he's done for you. Remind yourself that you are saved, that he has washed away all your sins, that actually, you know, he, joy, joy comes in the morning, though there may be weeping at the night, that actually you are his kid, that you've been restored to his house, that you have authority, that you have influence there because he loves you. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. He's more interested in loving you and telling you that than he is in talking about the last week of your life. Yeah. He has covered that. Yeah. If you need to repent, you can do that when you go home and there's no one around to see you being miserable. But in here, <laughs> I'm joking, obviously. But in here, we're going to rejoice. We're going to rejoice because he's good. And actually, if we need to repent, that will lead us in and we'll have the strength to deal with the things we need to deal with. Yeah. Amen? Come on, let's do it.